Welcome to Bible study. Everyone's being so social, I hate to interrupt, but I uh, guess we'll get it moving. It's great to see, you know, a lot of socializing. Yeah, all right. Let's take a moment, we'll pray, and then we'll get going with the Bible study. So let's pray. Father, thanks for you know, your love tonight. We thank you for your presence. We've gathered in the name of Jesus. We ask that You'd lead us, guide us, and empower us as we look into your word. I pray that your word would be encouraging to us. I pray that your word would be comforting to us. I just ask God that we would take hold of what you want to say to us and uh, really just uh, begin to apply that in some practical way to our lives tonight. We thank you for the opportunity to be here. We thank you for the opportunity to hear from you. ask God that we'd have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. We give you thanks tonight for your presence. We give you thanks tonight uh, just for your power. And we ask that uh, we'd be receiving of you. Uh, that's what we came here to do. So we want to receive of you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study. And that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. It could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to uh, Book of Romans, Book of Romans, chapter 15. Book of Romans, chapter 15. And verse 4, if I could have a volunteer. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. All right, thanks. Uh, we're looking at uh, just a passage that gives us a little bit of uh, insight as to the scriptures, gives a little bit of insight as to why uh, the Old Testament, specifically the Old Testament scriptures, are important to us as New Testament believers, uh, what Paul was trying to say to the church there. Uh, this is being coupled with, and you can read ahead uh, before this passage in the beginning of Romans 15, it's being coupled with an idea of suffering, it's being coupled with an idea of endurance, it's being coupled with an idea of patience. And, and so these kind of ideas are, are being brought together for the reasons that the church needed to mature and to grow. And Paul was trying to guide that process. 
Rome was about to turn into uh, even bigger persecution uh, for the church. Uh, it, was, it was a place of persecution. And there were a lot of trials or a lot of tribulations that were heading their way. And so the church that was in Rome uh, needed to grow up and needed to become something more than it was at this point. And so the apostle, as he wrote, was writing to just let them know that there's a process that God has for us for that. There's a process that God has ordained for us to grow in and to mature in and to become more in. And so that's really what he's trying to highlight with this. Now, he takes this portion, this particular verse, and he talks about the scriptures, which I, I think is um, interesting because we all have different ways that we look at the scriptures. Uh, we look at scriptures as however it is a lot of times the way you grew up. Uh, I used to speak at different Christian churches and schools uh, when I was first starting out, I was uh, working with co college ministry, and so that opened up a bunch of doors for me in Christian schools. Uh, they wanted me to talk to you know, mainly the older kids, but so I'd have a lot of opportunity with Christian schools, a lot of opportunity with youth groups, uh, youth convention. I was a part of that, part of the team to put together the youth convention every year. I would do youth retreats, things like that, and so had all kinds of opportunities with that. Now, with some of the Christian schools, I experienced things I had never even heard of before. Like uh, at the Christian schools, there was one in particular I would go to fairly regularly. It was fairly close to where I was living at the time. And uh, people would, in the morning, they'd have their big school assembly, and they would pledge allegiance to the flag, and then they'd pledge allegiance to the Christian flag. You know what the Christian flag is? It's the... We don't have one, but it's a Christian flag. And then they'd pledge allegiance to the Bible. Now, I'd never seen anything. I'd never seen anybody pledge allegiance to the Bible. Uh, like when I was a kid, like a little, little kid, in my grandfather's church, they had vacation Bible school in the summer times. And so they would pledge allegiance to the Christian flag. I'd seen that before. And I'd seen the regular pledge of allegiance because we did that every morning at school, school. But pledge allegiance to the Bible, that was something new for me. But I saw that, and so I often wondered, like, what kind of a view of the Bible would you have if you pledged allegiance to the Bible every day? Like, uh, and you can hear what I'm saying both negatively and positively, if you'd like. I don't care which. But what kind of view would you have if that was the, the case as a child? And I thought about that, and I'm not sure that, and I know this wouldn't be a popular opinion for most people that grew up in the church, but I didn't grow up like that, uh, necessarily going to church. Once I reached a certain age, I didn't go to church anymore. And I was kind of off doing whatever I was going to do. It wasn't until college where I came and really started a relationship with Jesus. So I was off doing whatever. And so I missed a lot of this cultural stuff that I experienced later on. And it, it always occurred to me that I don't know if that's a great view. Pledging allegiance to the Bible gives us a great view of really what God's intent is of the scriptures. Uh, I, I struggle with that as a new believer as to how to see the Bible. I, I, I read it every day. I, I looked into it every day. I wanted to hear from God every day. I was on a regimen when I was in college. I was reading the Bible two hours a day every day. And that was with my homework and everything else I had to do. And I was working part-time too. But I, I valued it that much 
that I would read it every day, but I struggled in how I saw it. Because I really wanted to get a hold of purpose. I really wanted to get a hold of God's plan. I really wanted to get a hold of, of why the scriptures were given to us. And so there was a, a few years into it, I was at a meeting. And there was a guy talking at this meeting. I don't know where he came from. I can't remember his name. I don't know what he was representing. I have no idea. He wasn't a local guy. They brought him in to speak at this meeting. And it was a meeting of pastors. And he just began to talk about the Bible. He began to talk about how we receive the scriptures of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit inspired, infused, uh, just came into people, into men. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they would write down whatever it is God told them to write down. And so then we got this written word that is handy to have because it doesn't really change. It's just there. It's just in writing. But this guy's point in this was is that that's not enough. The writing part is good because that doesn't change. The issue becomes that this is an, it was inspired to be written by the Holy Spirit. And his contention was is that it requires the Holy Spirit and, and an infusion of the Holy Spirit into us as readers if we're going to truly understand the intent of the Spirit when it was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So there has to be a reading under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a hearing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There has to be a moving of the Holy Spirit in our life if we're truly going to understand what God had intended from the beginning. Because that which was breathed into by the Holy Spirit requires a breath in order to breathe into us the truth, the insight, the depth of what God had intended from the very beginning. And so that began to help me to, to really take hold of the, the purposes, the plans, and how God had intended for us to take hold of the truth that he wants to give us through the scriptures. Again, I, I read the Bible. I listen to the Bible. I, I take a portion, a good portion of my day every day, even now, to, to hear from God through the scriptures. But I look at it a lot differently than I did at the very, 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 very beginning because I really just couldn't get a hold on exactly how I was supposed to hear and how I was supposed to understand and what I was supposed to take out of that. Uh, people would tell me, well, memorize it. Okay, good idea, but I'm a terrible memorizer. So I'd read it over and over again. And, and, and sometimes I'd be able to remember it, sometimes I couldn't. And then the, I was trying to figure out, do I read chapters? Do I read books? Do I read what else I was going to do? So it gave me a whole different understanding of allowing for that work and expecting that work and asking for that work of the Holy Spirit in my heart, in my life, in my spirit to join with me in bringing understanding and bringing revelation. And, and so if you understand what I was just said, and I know I've said this before, but if you're getting a hold of this, it creates a dynamic for us, a real dynamic for us to hear from God. And it's one of those things like, you know, people get really weirded out when you talk about, oh, God talks to me. Yeah, he does. But how does he talk to me? Well, he talks to me in a lot of different ways. He, he can choose any way he wants to talk to me. There, there could be 
someone that will give me a word of prophecy. I could hear someone teaching from the scriptures and he speaks to me through that. Or I could be, he could speak to me through a dream. Or I may have a vision. Or, or there might be some other way that God chooses to do that. God's spoken to me through music. He's spoken to me through, uh, through uh, media, other kinds of media. God's spoken to me through uh, visual media. He's spoken to me through art. He's spoken to me through motion pictures. He's spoken to me in a lot of different ways. And so for me to take hold of something and say, well, this is the only way God can speak. It's not the only way God can speak to me. But it is a way that God does speak to me on a regular basis when I'm talking about the scriptures. And so I have that expectation that I'm going to invest in this. And that's why I do invest in it. I invest in the scriptures every day. Why? Because that's, God speaks to me that way. And again, that's not the only way. But it's a way, and it's a consistent way, and it's a way that I can readily take hold of his truth and readily take hold of what he wants to say. And, and so I'm really thankful for that. So as Paul's writing the church here, he's, he's, he's beginning to speak to this idea of what the scriptures offer us as a New Testament church. And he says in there, if you read the verse, he says in there, that part of the nature of Scripture, part of the nature of Scripture is to teach you and me. That, that those, all those Scriptures that were given, and he's talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about the books of the law. He's talking about the books of wisdom. He's talking about the, the books of prophecy there in the Old Testament. They've been given to teach us, to teach me, to teach the New Testament church. And so one of the main purposes that we have in Scripture, and that may seem obvious to you, I'm not trying to insult you, but I want you to understand that Paul wants us to understand that there's a value in it. There is a value in what God has said and what has been written down. And he's specifically talking about the Old Testament Scripture. And so there is a value for us in the Old Testament Scripture is that God wants to teach us through that. And I'm going to get into a little bit how he teaches us through that, but but at least establishing, at least establishing from the very beginning, the importance, the value of it. Because I need a value for that. You need a value for that. Uh, I, I've talked to people about the Old Testament. It's like, well, I don't mind reading the New Testament, but I just really can't get into the Old Testament. And yet, in the Old Testament, there's a lot of the personality of God that's revealed through that. A lot. And, and, and reading that and understanding it. You know, people that just take portions of it or just take a little bit of it and, you know, they want to use it for whatever purpose they want to use it for, that's fine. But what I'm trying to get at is to take something as a whole and really begin to look at how did God interact with people? How does the Father interact with his children? How does God instruct? How does God uh, correct? How does God bring about change in people over time? How much time? And so uh, you know, looking at that, I mean, I am more convinced about the long-suffering and patience of God through reading the Old Testament than I ever have been in my life is understanding how, just how long will God wait for you to change? And the answer to that is a really long time. Just a really long time. And, and I know we don't think of him that way, but that's how he showed himself. 
And I, you don't have to convince me of that because that's who I see. That's who I've read about over and over and over again. And who does God use? Who does God love? He loves whoever he chooses to love. He uses whoever he chooses to, to use. Well, are there certain characteristics? There's one characteristic, one, that I will stand by and I will you know, take the Pepsi challenge on as far as what I believe about what God looks for. And that is someone who is faithful. He doesn't care if you're smart. He doesn't care if you're, you're super holy. He doesn't care if you're super righteous. He doesn't care about a lot of the things that you think he cares about. But he, he does put a premium on, and he seems to respond really well to people who are faithful. And by faithful, I mean you show up. You, you don't run away. You just kind of hang in there. And, and he, he blesses that in us. And so as I've seen that over the years of just reading and, and looking at, because you look at some of the personality defects in the Old Testament, there's a lot of personality defects in the Old Testament, like, like, like serious problems with people. And, and, and the Bible's a great book because it doesn't try to, to cover that over. In other words, it doesn't make everyone look like a hero. Because even the heroes in the Old Testament have personality defects. I mean, uh, you look at any of them, any of them, they, they just do. You got, like, Elijah is a perfect example. He's a great prophet. A guy who's not afraid, he'll go right up to the king, tell the king just like it is. Doesn't care, does not care. Takes on, you know, the prophets of Baal, all right? Just, just, uh, just, just face-to-face with the prophets of Baal, takes them on. Calls down fire from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, consumes their sacrifice, puts 400 of them to the sword. So this is not a squeamish man. This is not a man who's afraid. This is a bold, prophetic, faith-filled, believing guy. You know what he did right after? That's when he ended up in a cave all by himself hoping he would die. That's a serious personality defect. I mean, he had just seen this huge victory, just seen God move on his behalf, just seen his faith put into action, and, and God had, had not only defeated the prophets of Baal, but into the three-and-a-half-year famine in the land that he proclaimed, unafraid of all those things, but then ran and hid in a cave. Why? Because he was afraid. There was an irrational fear that overcame him, and then a desire to die. That's a serious personality defect. David had serious personality defects, even though he's a hero of Israel. Solomon had serious personality defects. He just did. And they're not afraid to talk about that. Why? Because these are people that God uses. And the more you understand and I don't mean to get off on this too far, but the more you understand that how God uses people and the people that God chooses and the people that God you know, pours out his love on, the people that God empowers and the people that God takes hold of in the Old Testament, the more you understand that there's some serious stuff that's kind of wrong with these people. And so you look at yourself and you're like, well, there's serious stuff wrong with me. That's correct. There is, probably. 
But that doesn't disqualify you in any way, shape, or form. In fact, it kind of puts you in the same boat as some of the heroes of the Old Testament, some of the heroes that God's going to use. You see the same pattern through the New Testament. Peter had some serious problems, some issues that were going on in his life. God used him. I mean, all these guys that came with were disciples and apostles, they all had some serious issues, and yet, or most of them did, and yet God used them. And so we put ourselves in the same boat as the people that God uses by looking and saying, all right, well, I'm not perfect. I got problems. I got some, maybe some serious defects in me. But that does not, in any way, shape, or form, disqualify me from God using me, for God's plan being made through me, for his purposes being fulfilled in and through my life. That does not disqualify me. But the way you're convinced of that is that that's something that God will show you over and over and over and over and over again as you look into and you read and you hear the writings in the Old Testament because that's what you see over and over again. You're not just hearing somebody talk about whatever they're going to talk about in snippets, but you're actually seeing that these are the people that God uses. I mean, the average pastor is not going to get up and preach on defects on Sunday morning. They're going to preach about all the great things that these people did. Yes, we're going to inspire you to do great things by looking at the great things that these people did. All right, awesome. All right, great idea. The fact of the matter is, though, that those great things that those people did were done by people that were as imperfect as all of us. And there's something really powerful about understanding that and getting a hold of and applying that truth to your life. Because it opens up the doors of possibility over you in whatever situation you're in, however you see yourself. Because some of us see ourselves really poorly. All right. All right. God uses whoever God uses. You look in the genealogy of Jesus, you know, when they're going back in his family history, I mean, there's a prostitute back in there. That prostitute's in the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11. Yeah. She has some serious issues going on. She's a prostitute. There's some serious issues happening there. But God used her. God said her faith was so strong that he used her as an example in the New Testament for us. All right. All right. So without condoning whatever it is that's wrong with these people, I'm not condoning it. I'm not judging it. I'm just saying it's who they were. Just like I don't expect anybody to condone my problems either. Hope not. You can pray for my problems. You don't need to condone them, though. You kind of understand the difference between those things? Yeah. It's just a reality. It's just a reality. So the Old Testament gives us that. Gives us that. And it, it gives us this opportunity, and it teaches us 
how to be patient. I hate waiting. Man, it depends on what it is, but I really hate waiting in line. I'll tell you that. I hate it. You know, I I can't explain it. And when I'm overseas, it's even it's, it's multiplied because uh, a lot of places we go for ministry are non-line forming cultures. And that's just so in case you don't know, in the, the whole world, not everyone knows how to form a line. You're taught how to form a line when you're in kindergarten. And you're waiting to go to the lunchroom or you're waiting to go to the bathroom or you're waiting, at least that's the way they used to do us. All right. You got in line. You learn how to get in line. You learn how to wait your turn. You learn to take turns. And then that's how we were taught. So we, in our culture, we learn how to wait in lines. Well, not every culture is like that. And as you travel and you go different places, you start figuring out that some places they have no value, no training, no experience in what it means to form a line. And so every moment, every opportunity to buy a train ticket, a bus ticket, every opportunity to get on a train, get on a bus, go in a museum, go see the ballet, I don't care what you're doing in these places, is an opportunity for a free-for-all outside the door. Yeah. And so for, if you grew up in that culture, that's normal. If you didn't grow up in that culture, that can be very challenging, if not frustrating, if not maddening. (laughs) But over time... You kind of learn to, <laughs> you kind of learn how to, you know, go do what you're going to do. If you're little, you learn how to squirt in between. If you're big, you learn how to get in the way. <laughs> and then you make your way. Yeah. Yeah. But the scriptures are given to us, and part of the nature of the scripture is to encourage us. To encourage us. Uh, some of your Bibles, they start this passage with the word for. And, and it speaks of the words of the Old Testament that they, they rightly bear upon us. And it's right for us to know, and it's right for us to read, and it's right for us to receive what God has to say through that. It's right for those words to instruct us. And it's right for us to allow the Scripture to directly minister, minister to us to help us to persevere. And, and that's really something that I believe God is saying through this verse here in Romans is that God wants to teach us how to persevere, how just to keep going. Now, the idea of suffering, because this is all wound into, as I said at the beginning of this, into this passage. The idea of suffering is an interesting idea because it's explained in the scripture, at least in these two ways. Suffering is explained by source and by purpose. Now, there's a lot in between those two things that are not explained. But the source and the purpose of it are explained in the scriptures. Now, the source, some of you are not going to like the way I'm going to say this, but I'm just going to say it, and you can argue with God about it. The source, we'll start with that. The source is that 
everything comes from God. Everything comes from my Father. That's the source. And you can you can kind of weasel around that and say, well, he allows it, or you can say he he uh, overlooks it. You can say whatever you want to say, uh, but ultimately, God is the source as we look at suffering in our life. Now, I don't mean that in any negative way. All I mean is that he understands it, he knows it, and is brought about under his sight. So, did he stop loving the apostles when they suffered? No. Did he stop loving the church when they suffered? No. If you look at the church history and you consider that the church in Jerusalem was able to exist for a number of years in Jerusalem, and it was growing, and it, they were all breaking house, breaking bread from house to house, and they were all fellowshipping together, and they were all taking time with each other, and they were all growing together. Okay, awesome. That sounds like a great fellowship. Well, then persecution came to Jerusalem. Suffering came. Do you know why? Because we can answer the question why it came. Now, if you were being persecuted and you were experiencing that suffering, you might be upset about that. All right? And that part of it would be hard. But ultimately, the reason that persecution came to the church in Jerusalem was it was time for them to move on. It was time for them to begin to take the gospel to other places. And so the persecution that came in Jerusalem, the suffering that came in Jerusalem sent believers in every direction with the gospel out of Jerusalem. That was God's purpose behind it. And so God had a purpose for that. And you can say, well, what was the source of that suffering? You can say it was the Sanhedrin. You can say it was the Roman government. You can say it was a lot of different things. But you're giving them a lot of credit when you say that. Because ultimately, it was done under God's sight. And it came from him. And ultimately, what it led to was his purposes being fulfilled in and through the very people that were affected by it. And so when I say I don't mean anything bad by that, I guarantee you I don't. And so the nature of suffering, I think sometimes we have to really take hold of a bigger picture of what that means in our life. Because it's the nature of suffering that is gross. It's the nature of suffering that God has produced in us more. It's the nature of suffering that we grow spiritually. We grow in our faith. We grow in obedience. We grow in our own faithfulness to God is through that. No one wants that. No one really seeks that out. But God gives it so that we can grow, so that we can mature, and so that we can become, and we can fulfill the purposes that God has for us. Well, what does that have to do with the Old Testament? Well, the Old Testament is full of examples of that. Where you see those type things happen, but God's purpose is being fulfilled through that. I mean... I'm just going through this portion of Genesis right now. Why was Joseph sold into slavery? Because his brothers were jerks? Well, yeah, they probably were jerks, but do they get all the credit for that? No. No. Okay, he was sold into slavery, sent to Egypt. You know this story, right? 
ended up in the house of Potiphar and ended up in prison. Now, why was he in prison? Well, because Potiphar's wife was was a conniving wench. And she lied about him, making advances toward her. And, and Potiphar believed that lying, lying woman and threw him in prison. You could give him that credit. But it was in prison that Joseph was given charge over the prison, learned how to administrate the prison, met the baker and the cupbearer of Pharaoh in prison, interpreted dreams by those two, and then was still stuck in there for two more years until the cupbearer remembered that he had told Joseph that he would tell Pharaoh about it. Pharaoh had some dreams. So the cupbearer's like, oh yeah, there's this guy in prison that can help you out. He's like, well, bring him here. Brought Joseph there, he interpreted the dream, and then was promoted on the spot to second in command of all of Egypt. On the spot was able to store up food for seven years for a famine that came and lasted for seven years. Not only was he able to do that, he was able to feed his own family and save his own family from starvation through his position in Egypt. Now, would he have chosen that path? Probably not. Probably not. Is there suffering? That, can you hear the suffering in that? And I, I know I'm kind of making light of some of it, but do you understand? He got sold into slavery. He got thrown into a pit. He got dragged off. He got thrown in prison. He's in prison. Then, then he thinks, oh, I've done this thing and I'll, I'll get out of here, right? No, two more years in prison. Two years. Still in prison. You've chosen that? No. But the, but the Old Testament's full of those stories. Full of those stories. I mean, Jacob working for Laban and, and, and for, he's working for his two daughters. So he get married. He works seven years for the woman he loves and ends up with the woman he doesn't love. He's like, well, work for me seven more. I'll give you the one you really want. Is that right? I mean, did we feel good about that? I don't know. I, I mean, that, that's, no. And then seven more years and the guy's so mad at him. He, he thinks he's going to kill him. He runs off. All right, but he wouldn't have chosen that path. That's what the Bible's full of that. Full of that. And, and it just goes on and on and on with the stories of people that end up in these positions and they suffer, but God's word, God's work, God's plan is done through that in and through their lives. We've got too many examples to look at, following me, too many examples to look at to ignore this is how God works. And let those scriptures encourage you. Let it encourage you. You got to look at stuff like that. And you're like, well, I'm going through it right now. Yeah, well, so did Jacob. I'm going through it right now. Well, so did Joseph. I'm getting taken advantage of right now. Yeah, well... Jacob got taken advantage of how many times by Laban? And yet God blessed him through that. Whoa, 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 whoa. You mean I'm getting taken advantage of, but I got an example of somebody in the Old Testament got taken advantage of and God blessed him through that? Oh, all right. I think that could encourage me. You see, this is, this is what this time is. You need to be encouraged by that. 
You need to be taught by that. You need to see things and gain a bigger perspective through that. And so the idea of suffering explained in Scripture, its source, it all comes from God our Father for what? For my good. That's what the Scriptures declare. It's, it's, it comes from my Father for my good. That's suffering in Scripture. That's the perspective. I know that's simple, right? That's simple. In fact, it's so simple. It's such a simple understanding. A child could be taught that. Now, like I said, there's a lot of stuff in between there where, you know, we're, we have feelings, we have hurts, we have all these other things that are going on that it doesn't, it, it's not that simple. But the concept of suffering, as explained in Scripture, is simple. It comes from my Father for my good. From my Father for my good. That's what it is. And I think we should teach our children that. And let them understand that from the time that they're little so that they don't keep throwing their hands in the air. Why is this happening to me? Well, it's part of life. It's part of life. And so it says that he gives us the hope in here. It's not just hope. It's the hope. The hope. Like Trisha is not just Trisha. She's the Trisha. I mean, that's a specific, specific right there. Not any Trisha. The Trisha. That's correct. This isn't any hope. This is the hope. And that's the point of this, is that he wants to give us literally the hope uh, of a future, a sustaining hope, a hope that bears us up, a hope that sees us through, a hope that speaks to a future, a hope that speaks to strength, a hope that speaks to fortitude in each, every single one of us. That's what, that's what he's teaching us. That's what he's pouring out. That's the hope. And it's the hope that produces a tenacity in us. A dogged persistence, a, a tenacious continuance. You like some of my words here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, we get filled with joy. We get filled with peace to produce an abundance of hope. Somebody, uh, Romans 15, 13, just read that. Just drop down a few verses. Yeah, just put the in front of hope. He fills you with the hope so that you can overflow with the hope. Yeah. That's this kind of hope. This is the tenacity. This is the persistence. This is the continuance. Being tenacious in what God has for me. He wants to fill us. Somebody while we're there, look at Romans 5.3. Romans 5, 3. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Yeah. So you look at the whole beginning of that. Right. And so the continuation that you kept reading. This is the process. Right? This is the process. 
Now, I know you thought I was making this up at the start, but this is really what it says. This is the process. And because it's the process, uh, we're not excluded, right? It's how it goes. And so there needs to be, I believe, in us an embracing of how God does things. An acceptance of how God does things. Maybe even an appreciation of and a love for how God does things. If we could see our way through that. Because I believe God wants to encourage us. And, and I want to say this, and maybe this will make sense to you, maybe not. But God's word gives encouragement rather than just consolation. God's word gives encouragement rather than just consolation. His word is more to stir the heart as with a trumpet call than just dry our tears. I mean, he's willing to dry our tears. And consolation is a part of the work of God, but it's not the only part. Because more importantly than the consolation that God brings, and and I mean this a lot more importantly, is the encouragement that he brings. Because not only does he want to wipe away the tears and console us, but he wants to stir us up. He wants to send the trumpet call to get us moving. It's the call to action. It's the call to move forward. It's the call to leave the spot that we're in and to move on to something else. But that's part of what his word does in us is encourage us with that instead of allowing us to just sit in the spot that we're in. Because everything in us, when something happens, seems like we just want to sit in that spot. We're afraid to move. Or too tired or too lazy or whatever it is. But God wants to console you, but he also wants you to hear the trumpet. He wants you to hear the call forward and to come forward out of that spot. And maybe you need to hear that tonight. Maybe you need to hear that trumpet. Maybe you need to hear that call out and that call forward. Well, that's part of what his word does. We got to keep moving. We just got to keep going. Because you allow yourself to sink into that spot where maybe you're crying, that spot maybe where you're down, that spot maybe where things didn't go your way and you're feeling bad about it. All right, all those are valid. Not making fun of that, not saying anything bad about that. That's the way it is. So receive some consolation, but you got to hear the call. It's time to move. You got to get up and you got to leave that spot. And nobody wants to tell you that when you're down. All right, so I'm not looking at anybody. So you're down. And so I'm just saying, hear the call, hear the trumpet call, get up, get out. There's a better day. There's a better moment. There's something better as you keep moving forward in what God has for you. There's something better. Whether you want to hear that or not, it's the truth. There's something better. And you don't have to stay in that same spot. You just don't. And so consolation is valuable but we need more for our well-being than just being comforted. We need more. 
You need more for your well-being than just being comforted. Be comforted. Be consoled. Yes, do that. But you need more. I need more. You need more. We need more than that. Because encouragement, look at the root of that word. God's word wants to encourage you. What does that mean? God wants to make you strong, and God wants to make you brave. He wants to give you courage to move forward. That's what he wants to do. And I believe that is by its nature taught us through the whole Old Testament. I mean, you look at the people that and some of the things that happened to them and some of the tragedy that happened to them. And I'll tell you, I mean, the oldest book in the Bible, as far as they can tell when it was first written, is the book of Job. And you look at that story about the human condition. All right, and uh, how many more bad things could ever happen to that guy, right? <coughs> and and all of those things that happened, all those things that took place, he had the worst comforters ever. <laughs> they were the worst. They 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 were terrible because all they kept trying to do is figure out why it was his fault. That's what they kept doing. <coughs> and and you know what the lesson of the book of Job is? The lesson of the book of Job is that Job didn't do anything wrong. He was righteous. And God said that, and, and God spoke that at the very end and told all his friends that they were wrong. But the, the point of the book of Job is that God just does what God does. And so for me to say that God is the source of suffering, don't be upset. Don't be upset. Because my father is the source. Why? For my good. That's why. One of the earliest lessons that God had for us to learn is that. That's the lesson. I mean, the book of Job is a long book with a lot of back and forth. But the lesson is suffering comes from my father for my good. That's the lesson. What's the lesson of the New Testament? Suffering comes from my Father, from my, my good. Who's Jesus? What did Jesus go through? What did he go through? Look at the thing. Think about his life. Think about the suffering of his life. You think about all that he faced and all the things that he, he came across, all the things that he went through, everything that he went through. It was from his Father sent him. He volunteered to come and, and to and to endure that. Yeah. His choice. The Father's choice for him. This came from my Father. Why? For not only his good, for all our good. That's the lesson of Jesus. I don't know really how much more basic we can get than that. How much more simple that we can get than that. But allowing for and recognizing that God sends things our way for our good and allowing for that and even embracing that in our lives. But like I said just a minute ago, embrace it all you want. Receive comfort all you need. Consolation, all that's required. But hear the trumpet call 
and get up and keep going. Because the lesson does you no good if you can't get up and keep going. That's how you grow. That's how you change. That's how you persevere. That's how strength strength is grown in your life. That's how bravery is grown in your life. That's how courage is grown in your life. By getting up, go. Go. So the scriptures, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to recap just a second. Teach us. Lead us into the hope and encourage us or give us courage, bravery, and strength. Where does it come from? Suffering? My Father. Why? For my good. Wish I knew that when I was five. I'd have seen my teen years differently. Probably. All right. It's going to take a few moments, and I just want to encourage you to uh, allow the Holy Spirit to minister something to you tonight. What? Whatever He wants to. Uh, whatever He wants to minister, whatever He wants to say, whatever He wants to do in your life, I just want to encourage you to yield to that tonight, to yield to the work of the Holy Spirit. That's conscious on your part, is to yield. I say, all right, do what you want to do. I'm open and I'm ready to receive. I'm a firm believer that if you can yield to the work of the Holy Spirit, He does what He does. We stop fighting, we stop resisting, and we embrace the work that He wants to do in us. So Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you would minister, send your Holy Spirit to minister to each one of us tonight. I pray truth to be ministered into us. I pray your word to be ministered into us. I pray, God, your life to be ministered into us. I pray revelation to be ministered. I pray, God, uh, just change in our mind and change the way that we see things, change in perspective to be ministered in the name of Jesus. And I just ask you that as each of us yield, we yield, that your work is done in me. That your work is done in us, in each of us. Now there may be some change of perspective needs to happen about suffering. I, I pray, God, as we yield to you, you would change the way we see it. I pray fundamental change in the way that we see your work in our lives, in the way that we see the things that come our way. That God, you would teach us how to see, and even in a bigger picture, a broader picture, a deeper picture even, of what you're doing. A picture that produces the hope, that teaches us what perseverance is, that gives us strength and courage and it makes us brave. If our minds need to be changed, I pray we'd yield to you tonight. 
that I pray that you would comfort those that need to be comforted. I pray you console those that need to be consoled. Thank you, God. I also pray for a trumpet call to be loud and clear in our hearts. And when it's time, we take that step up, out, and forward. I thank you that you have a new day for us. I thank you have new challenges for us. I thank you that you have life and that more abundantly for us. I thank you that uh, you have growth and you have maturity for us. Yeah. Thank you, change. Change. It's right there. Life is right there. Hope is right there. Thank you for that. So speak, God. Speak. Speak. I pray your word would have its way in us. I pray change. I pray growth. I pray maturity. I pray more and more life. We give you thanks tonight and praise. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Screw us saying amen. 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 God bless you. Thanks for coming tonight. We'll see you again. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm -hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the community that. Well, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah.